And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. This is God's word. All right, if you would, pray with me one last time before we, uh, before we get started. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for uh, this beautiful day, this beautiful, really hot day. Uh, but I'm sure this heat's doing something valuable for our ecosystem, so we trust that to you, Lord. Um, Father, just, uh, yeah, again, we, we thank you so much for the gathering of your people today. I pray that uh, this message would be a message of comfort and one that inspires us in a way that just puts more joy, more love, more awe, and more adoration towards you as a God who truly cares for us, who is working with us and walking alongside us. Um, Lord, help us to really understand uh, the, the nature of serving, what it means to us as believers, and, uh, and hopefully some more stuff too. So please help us. Help me to decrease so that you might increase. All glory to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let me see. A uh, history lover by the name of Dan Carlin, who if you guys are familiar with, is one of my favorite people probably in the world, has a quote that says, to read human history is to read the diary of a madman. Now, when we look at human history, we can see lots of accomplishments. We can see lots of areas where things like medicine, agriculture, industry, uh, you know, architecture, all these things have, have been created, like beautiful, amazing things that have helped people live better, which is really rich and wonderful. But on top of all of those accomplishments, we've also seen horrible experiences of oppression, mistreatment, war, violence, widespread dehumanization, just people losing the essence of what it means to be made in the image of God. It seems as long as there's a person to take a single step forward, there's always another person who's going to be stepped on in that. And that puts us in a pretty tricky place. See, when we go back to the very beginning of our Christian texts, we go back to a story that many of us are very familiar with, Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden. And people often don't realize that God gave them a task and it wasn't just don't eat this fruit. They were tasked with taking care of the world. You know, the first thing we see is Adam being told, hey, go around, you know, figure out what's going on with these animals, give them names, you know, maybe, maybe gorilla is a good one for that one. You know, just kind of like, kind of feel, feel this world out and, uh, and figure out how we can make this better, how things can grow and improve in this beautiful world that I've made. But then as we know, the story of everything being perfect does not last long 
this horrible thing called sin, this big black cloud descended over everything and everything got worse. The natural world was infected with death, which it was never supposed to experience, and decay. On an individual level, we as humans have been vulnerable to things like disease and pain, chronic, severe pain, severe mental illness, trauma, sometimes generational trauma, heartbreak, loss, loneliness, violence, assault, all these terrible things coming after this single domino fell in the beginning of this book that we see. On a larger scale, things like I mentioned, systems of oppression where the poor and the vulnerable would be taken advantage of on a systematic basis. Social classes would fight with each other. Different ethnicities would war with each other. Nationalities would, would use violence against each other. There would be rivalries and war and corruption and all sorts of things. So now God's call to Adam and Eve is a little bit more involved than just name the gorillas and the centipedes. It was no longer just about taking care of the world and bringing beauty to it, even though that call would not be lost. Now, human beings were responsible for settling the brokenness in their hearts and in their beings. They were called to remember the God who they had lost close connection with and remember him in everything that they did. And as they remembered him, they were called to treat fellow humans with love and respect and dignity, especially those who happens to be at the bottom of whatever broken systems humans made. Throughout God's story with the nation that he established that we call Israel, God is reinforcing this. He says, if you've got foreigners who come to your land, treat them well. If you have widows and orphans in your communities, take care of them. If you have extra food, no, not if you have extra food. Take some of the food that you have and leave it for the poor so they don't go hungry. Keep your eyes open for injustice and make sure that vulnerable people in your world are not being taken advantage of. In a word, the people of God were called to serve, to serve their neighbors, to serve their enemies, to serve their friends, to serve their family, to serve the stranger, to serve the foreigner, to serve the ones that God loved. Even when God's people were living under evil and corrupt leaders in a place where they had no political or social influence, the people of God were still called to seek out the well-being of their communities by serving the needy and seeking justice. When Jesus came, Jesus, the son of God, uh, you know, word become flesh, he didn't just confirm that all these things that God had said were true. He affirmed them by speaking them again, and then he lived them out perfectly. 
He fed those who were hungry miraculously. He spent time with the rejected members of society, showed them care and dignity. He extended love to children and to widows and to lepers and to the homeless and to the sick and to the foreigners and to the rejected and to the unloved. Like I love the story where Jesus on his way to Jerusalem when he's just a few days away from his crucifixion, he stands on this high point and he looks out over the city and he starts to cry because he was moved with compassion for those who were affected by great need. He was moved by those who did not see God in the splendor that he is robed in. He was moved by those who were lonely, by those who were weak, by those who were struggling with just the burden of life itself. And a few days later, his compassion would become action and he would be crucified for those very people. The good news, which we all know, is that he didn't stay dead. He resurrected three days later and that's kind of where we find ourselves in this passage that Vi read for us. This passage took, takes place just a couple of weeks, maybe even a few days after Jesus had ascended back to heaven. This was one of the earliest groups of Jesus followers that were gathering at this time. And this group of like five verses just summarizes very quickly the kinds of things that the people of God did together. Their days were marked by praying and they would listen to teaching and they would, they would fellowship. They would spend time with each other. They would share their lives with each other. They would eat together and they would make sure that anyone in their circle who had a need had that need taken care of. In Acts, we see people selling what they have just to make sure that the person next to them doesn't go without. But it wasn't just other Christians that they were responsible for. Just like the nation of God's people before them, they were responsible for those who were most affected by need, the widows, the orphans, the sick, the outsiders, the lonely, you know, the list I've said a couple times already, the ones for whom Jesus' heart wept. Now, when we leave the book of Acts and go into church history, things get a whole lot messier. The, the history of Christians serving throughout history is far from perfect, but there are some moments of beauty. One of my favorites, and it's something that I've shared a couple times in sermons in the past, was that in the first couple hundred years after the church was established, when Rome was still an empire, there were these brutal um, why did I just lose the word? Uh, what's, what just happened? Pandemic, yeah. I can't believe I lost that. These, these horrible plagues and pandemics would sweep into the empire. And those who were affluent enough to leave would just abandon the cities where everyone was contagious and would just seek their own well-being. But Christians actually got a reputation for staying 
because they were taking care of and nursing the ones who were sick in their communities. Many Christians died because of this. But a lot of people who they were taking care of did not die. And they remembered the self-giving love of these believers. And this actually, in a time where about a third of the empire died to disease, the church was growing. The birth of what we know today as hospitals is largely due to the influence of Christians who believed in compassion and dignity for anyone, regardless of their class or place in society, that if someone had an injury or a sickness, they weren't just to be taken to the temple to have a ritual performed over them, but they should have people who slightly knew what they were doing. Medicine was still not great back then. Um, who were committed to providing long-term care. So what we see as hospitals, there's, there's, it's, not, it's not coincidental that most hospitals that we see in our city and throughout our country have a saint in the name. It's because the church was influential in how that happened. Generations of missionaries all for, for hundreds of years would build the church by going into communities recognizing areas of need and not even severe needs. Sometimes these were just dudes with a hammer and a basic ability of carpentry who would walk into a town and be like, hey, your roof seems kind of messed up. Can I help you out with that? And just serve the needs of these small towns, which would allow them to build relationships where the gospel would come and actually bless these people. That's happened for many, many years all over the world. So if we had to define this idea of Christian serving, I would call it this, receiving the self-giving love of God and then sharing it with those in need. Receiving the self-giving love of God and then sharing it with those in need. Last week, when Andy was talking about gathering, he used a cool template for, the, uh, for his points where he went from good, better to best and kind of breaking down why we do certain things. So he's not here, so I'm gonna steal it. So that's exactly what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna provide you three reasons for why we as Christians serve, going from good, better to best. Here's my first, the good reason. We serve for others. We serve for the sake of others. I remember really, really vividly, I had this interaction with this dude a few uh, years ago. This was probably the first couple of months of COVID happening. Um, Andy had a friend who um, had an older man who she kind of knew who was pretty disconnected from the community who was who just had some random need pop up and so she reached out to Andy Andy said you know talk to John he can he can spend some time and, and help you out and so I didn't really know what I was doing but I met outside a Starbucks masked up with this dude who is in his probably mid to late 60s 
And this dude's story was that he was a full-time Lyft driver. And somehow he had logged himself out of his account and he wasn't able to get back into it. And so he wasn't able to do any rides and he wasn't able to make any money. So he's just like super embarrassed, feeling really kind of ashamed of himself, but really not knowing what to do and just not technologically savvy at all. And so I sat down with him and, you know, it felt like a lot of sit downs I've had with my parents before. And I was like, all right, well, here's how you reset a password. And, you know, oh, well, what's your email password? And he's like, I don't know. And I'm like, all right, we got some more work to do. And so uh, and for like 90 minutes, I sat there and just helped this dude try to get back into his Lyft account so he could start doing rides again. And I remember at some point in the conversation, he said, uh, he said, what do you do for a living, John? And I said, I'm a pastor. And he's like, you're a pastor? Like, don't you have anything better to do than, than help some guy get back into his phone? And I looked at him and I said, no, I don't. Because I didn't. And I remember him just feeling so like affected by the fact that I didn't feel like I had this grandiose sense of self-importance that I couldn't possibly spend maybe an hour and a half outside of Starbucks helping some dude like try to restore his livelihood again. He was like struck by that. And as I got to know him a little better, I found out that the, the woman that Andy had gotten in touch with was his only connection to anyone in the city. I didn't get a whole lot of his story, but this man was completely disconnected from community in Tucson. He had a couple relatives that he kept a loose connection with, but ultimately, this guy was just super lonely and was just trying to get something back together. And for me to come and sit down with him and just extend a little bit of grace to me, it was, it was an hour and a latte. To him, it was amazing. And I sat down with this dude a couple more times, and, and the next meetings were actually a lot more personal and a lot more heart-to-heart. -heart. And the bummer is that there was one point where he straight up told me that he wanted to talk to me about the gospel and about what what it looked like to reconnect his life with God. And unfortunately, we actually lost touch before we were ever able to meet, but I, I still pray for this dude that wherever he found himself or whether he's still in the city or whether he's gone, that the spirit of God is still working there and that he's using people who are willing to use that simple, self-giving kind of love to just show the care of God. This is something that I think is such an easy way for us to express to people that there is a love that just by being human beings, they ought to receive. Romans has a beautiful passage which says quite simply, it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Often we think that if we want someone to repent, we have to wave our fingers in their face. We have to give them a thousand reasons why and write out a 10-page thesis for it. When in reality, 
Oftentimes what people need to realize their need for God is just a little bit of grace and kindness. It's interesting that I've had conversations with people who don't believe in forms of serving that don't have an explicit like gospel evangelistic approach to it. I remember legitimately having a conversation with a cop who said, I just don't know if I can keep doing my job anymore. I, I just don't feel like I'm actually serving Jesus because I can't evangelize to the people that I'm around. And I said, dude, like, you're keeping women from being abused by their husbands. You're keeping uh, homeless people from overdosing in, in, in public parks. Like, where do you not see ministry in your actions? <laughs> Where do you not see the light of Jesus breaking into darkness there, man? Like, you've, you've got a front row seat to pray for some of the most needy people in our city. Whether you're praying for them face to face or behind their backs, don't, don't, don't second guess what God is doing through something like that. And I would say that to anyone else here. You don't have to be a cop there are people here who are, who are working in, in the medical field, literally working towards the bodily healing of broken human beings. That's a blessing. That is a reflection of the good news, which is the restoration of all of our broken selves to a good, loving God. You know, this one's easy because my wife's a teacher, but you know, being able to work in the education field. You're literally discipling these little minds that show up to you for hours a day. Whether they're children or adults, that's a tremendous blessing. So look at the ways that your job is beautiful and restorative and then press into that. And if your job is more uh, destructive and chaotic, then let's talk after service. All right, let's move on to our next point. So our good point was we serve for the sake of others. The second is our better point, which is we serve for the sake of ourselves. Now, I know this sounds selfish. Bear with me. Hold on a very quick second. Our role as believers means that we are being shaped day by day to the heart of God, which means that we should be growing in compassion and in kindness and in this self-giving kind of love. The obligation to serve is one that we should feel as Christians because a Christian that does not serve is a shovel that doesn't dig. It's something that may be made for a purpose, but if it's not living within that purpose, then there is something that is flawed in that. Honestly, some of the scariest, harshest, most critical passages in scripture are related to believers who have gotten very comfortable in receiving the beautiful love of God and have forgotten their responsibility to share it with others. People who have received the grace of God and just held it and not shared it in kindness or in mercy. 
I mean, it's literally the story of the, this is one of the parables that Jesus shared of the man who receives much mercy, the, the servant who owed this great debt to his master and his master forgave him of everything that he owed. And then that servant had a friend who owed him a fraction of the amount that he was forgiven and he refused. He just went ballistic. When the master found out what that dude had done, he made him pay him back, like, I think, multiplied. The grace that we receive, and this has been the story of humans for forever, the grace that we receive is meant to be enjoyed and savored and felt, but not hoarded. In fact, those who do are honestly in a very risky and dangerous place before God. If we just look at scripture. We, we, when we look at faith, we tend to look at faith as this very intellectual thing. Faith is belief. Faith is a thing that I think and I think certain things and I am what I think. And it's this very like uh, James K. Smith says, it's a brain on a stick. Like it's, it's this idea that we are what we think is completely off. It's not true. We're not what we think. So we look at the opposite of faith as doubt, as having questions, as not knowing if something is, is true. And I actually want to challenge that. I don't think that the opposite of faith is doubt. I would say the opposite of faith is being self-centered or being selfish. And here's an example I'll use. Imagine that you're trapped in a burning building and you had some kind of injury to where you're not gonna be able to escape this building by yourself. Now there's two scenarios. In one scenario, you're trapped in this building with a complete stranger who is very doubtful of their ability to actually rescue you, but they have this deep conviction of compassion that they don't feel right leaving you there alone and they feel compelled to do something. So they have doubt, but they still have compassion. In the other scenario, the other person is purely selfish. Doubt, selfishness. I pick scenario number one 10 times out of 10. I think anyone here would agree. Selfishness is not fatal. It is not a sin that Christ cannot continue to work on and help you heal from. But it is absolutely something we need to acknowledge where it lives. Because it is very dangerous. Honestly, Living lives as Christians kind of gets us to focus on ourselves, our lives, our strengths, our weaknesses, what we're good at, what we're bad at, and our relationship to God. And our life of faith can turn into, into navel gazing where we're just kind of hyper-focused on ourselves, like our spirituality is just like us constantly meditating in this aura filled with us-ness. 
And I think often when our faith feels really sick and weak, it's not because we're not focusing on ourselves enough. I think it's often because we might be focusing on on ourselves a little bit too much. When our faith is weak and flimsy, it's often because we need to be looking at others around us. We need to give the love that Christ has given us room to actually breathe. And to breathe, it actually needs to affect others, not just ourselves. I want us to, uh, I want to read a quick passage from Matthew 25. This is Jesus talking. Um, Matthew 25, verses 34 to 40. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, You did it to me. That's crazy. As you did it to the least of my of these of my brothers, you did it to me. We talked about worship a couple weeks ago. Jesus is literally saying, if you want to worship me, if you want to serve me, if you want to give me kindness and love, if you want to exalt me and praise me, then take that energy and give it to those who need it. Take care of the sick, visit the lonely, show love to those who need it. Because the passage after that is a lot less pleasant. Because Jesus is saying what happens to those who saw those in need around them and were unmoved and apathetic. And the response is much less than receiving the inheritance of the king. It was actually receiving the judgment of the king, which is a lot less fun. And move on to my last point. My first point was a good reason to serve is we do it for the sake of others. The second, the better reason to serve was we do it for ourselves or we do it because it's in the DNA of what makes us Christians. It's a much longer title. And the third was we serve because of him. This was the easy, obvious answer anyone could have expected. We serve because... Christ has served us, and he has done so perfectly. There is one man who is truly selfless, who genuinely knows what self-giving love looks like, who loved and gave and poured out his life so perfectly and so brutally. I remember a couple weeks ago at the kids' catechism, 
we were talking about how, we were talking about the incarnation basically, about how Jesus was God up in the, the regal royal thrones of heaven, and he put on, you know, man's skin and came down to where he didn't have a bed to sleep in and where people would, you know, make fun of him and he would get beaten up for, and he'd get killed. And I think it was Bria who was like, why would he do that? Like, why bother? That's a lot to go through. I don't think I would do that. Bria was like, what's the point? Why would he do something like that? And that's a great question. Because the answer is, he was moved with love. He was moved with a perfect, flawless heart of compassion for those who he loved and seeks to heal and seeks to care for. When Jesus served to the point of sacrificing his own life on a cross, he was defeating the powers of pain and suffering that we see and witness all over the world. And he was promising that he would come back one day and do away with them once and for all. So guys, when we serve, the cool thing is we're not serving to say, I sure hope that this lasts. We're not building orphanages that we say, I sure hope that this means that it's going to be here forever. We're actually serving as a way to celebrate the victory that Jesus has already established. We serve to remember that Jesus has already conquered everything evil that will one day disintegrate while our lives and our world is restored to the beauty that it was made for. So it is true that Jesus calls us to serve. But I also want to say that in the beginning, Jesus just calls us. So if you're discouraged about the selfishness in your hearts, there's more than enough room to grow in the presence of Jesus who loves you perfectly. When Jesus sought out his disciples, he said, just come, just follow me. If you've lost your love, if you've lost your fire, if you've lost your selflessness, don't beat yourself over the back. Just come. Just meet Jesus where you're at. He'll meet you there. He can deal with your weakness. He's done it for a long time. Jesus says, if you're hungry, come, I'll give you food. If you're thirsty, come, let me give you water. If you're tired, I will give you rest. So just come. If you're missing something, if you're imperfect, if you're broken, if you're not doing what you're supposed to do, just come. He'll work with you. He's not done. He's not giving up. He'll walk with you. He'll serve you. And as he does, he will experience grace and you will grow and you will heal and you will feel your heart grow into the heart of Jesus. Your true self will not wither away, but it will be restored in the goodness of God. And so 
as we as we close, I want to just consider like a, a few practical ways to serve. And honestly, it, it doesn't have to be, you know, devastating for you. If you like like one thing that I, I recognize in my wife, which I think is so cool, is that if, if there's like relatives. Like, like a lot of us come from, come from families or maybe extended families where there's, there's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of disarray there. If you've got a young cousin, nephew, niece who you just want to show love to because maybe they're not getting a whole lot from where they come from, then geez, dude, take them to the movies. Like can make that connection that might actually be enough to really make an impact on their lives. Maybe you know somebody, maybe at work, maybe somewhere in your, in your community who you just know is lonely. Spend time with them. Not once. Make it a rhythm. Make a, make a presence. Make a dent in their lives. It can connect to things that you naturally like to do. If you like playing music, shoot, there's people in hospice care right now withering away. Play some songs for them. Give them something to enjoy. There's lots of ways you can connect the gifts that you have with the needs of those who are hurting or who are struggling. Consider the church. Consider ways that you can serve the church. Make your mission to serve those who are serving so that more serving can then happen. Look at ministries around town. Go to a soup kitchen. Go to a food bank. Honestly, I think that you should pray. I think that you should pray that God would open your eyes to an opportunity to serve. Or honestly, if you've been genuinely serving with a heart of love, I pray that you would ask God if that is the place for you to stay and then for him to bless that, for him to keep strengthening you in that place. I genuinely believe that as we draw closer to this overwhelming love of God, it doesn't just give us something cool to think about. I actually think that the love of God is the most healing thing that we can experience, which is why he's constantly calling us to draw closer and closer and closer to it. So as we close, I would pray that your heart would be healed by the love of God, teaching you the fantastic art of self-giving love. Pray with me, please. Lord God, we, uh, Lord, um, serving is a complicated thing. The world is full of complex weaknesses and pains and struggles. And uh, it's beautiful to think that we're not called to be superheroes to save the world. We, we couldn't if we tried. It's beautiful to think that you have saved this world and the work that you started is a work that you're still gonna finish. So please give us direction because as we serve others, you're filling our hearts with love and you're actually helping us to heal and grow closer to you, which will just make our lives that much better. So help us to enjoy and seek out serving in little ways, in our day-to-day -day conversations, in our little interactions, and then in, in maybe larger ways too. Please just help us to know what you want us to do, Jesus. Um, 
Yeah, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. As we, uh, as we move on to, our, to the next part of our service, there's a few things we're going to do. We are going to respond to all of that in three ways. We're going to um, practice the Lord's Supper, which I'll share a little bit more about in a second. We're going to respond in uh, musical worship where we're going to sing and Mike and the band are going to lead us in some more musical worship. And then we're going to give, or I'm sorry, then we're going to worship through giving. Now, we want to recognize that we give in response to God's generosity to us and that this is genuinely an act of worship. This is not meant to be just the handing the basket around, you know, shaming the people who don't, celebrating those who do. This is not about, you know, building yourself up on a higher tier of Christianity. Like when we give, the idea is that we're giving from a posture of genuine, wholesome worship to God. And it's a way that reminds us that we are receiving everything good in this world from God. And so again, we don't want to hoard the good things that God gives us. We want to receive them and appreciate them and then share with those who are in need. So we invite you guys to give and to give with generosity and to give with joy. And... Uh, Lastly, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. And this is something that we practice every week. And honestly, it's my favorite part of the service. The Lord's Supper or communion, or even some would call it the Eucharist, is something that every church throughout church history for 2,000 years in every continent, in every space and time, have celebrated. And it is a time where we gather to remember and to receive the blessing of Jesus when he said that he would not eat of bread or drink of wine until the day that he comes back. Um, when we take the Lord's Supper, we're remembering that Jesus in his perfect sacrifice died for us that he made us right in a way that we could never make ourselves right and that he has promised to continue and finish the work that he started that will end with a new world full of beauty and full of grace. And so we invite you, if you're a believer, even if you're just believing for the first time, to come and receive this as a remembrance of Jesus, but also as a blessing straight from him to you. Um, so... That's what we're going to do. As a little interlude to lead into that, we're going to have a time of silence. This is a time for you to personally respond to Jesus in whatever feelings you feel that you'd like to share. This is a time of confession, but also maybe you just haven't talked to God in a while and you just got a couple things got to get off your chest. Well, here's the time to do that. So let me lead you guys in prayer and then we'll leave two minutes of silence and then we'll have time for, uh, for those three things. So... Here we go. Father in heaven, uh, Lord, we, we recognize today something that we recognize every day, which is that we are just not worthy of who you are, of what you are in our lives, over us. There are things that we should have done that we didn't do. And there are things that we should not have done that we did do. And we recognize our shortcomings in our actions, in our feelings, in our thoughts. 
And Lord, we consider these things not so that we can heap shame and not so that we can become vulnerable to the enemy who will yell and and hurl insults at us, but we confess our sins before you because we believe wholeheartedly that you will cast our sins as far as the east is from the west and that you are faithful to forgive us and restore us. So Lord, help us to repent, help us to confess our sins, and then to experience the beautiful love of your forgiveness. So Lord, please help us to pray in this time of silence.